Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Chaotic Normal, the fifth edition D&D actual play podcast. The fifth edition D&D actual play podcast. There are no others, and we will not acknowledge them. I am Ryan. Uh, I'll be one of your intrepid adventurers. And uh, yeah, let's not do any long-winded intros. Let's just get right into the action. I'll throw to the uh, Dungeon Master Graham, and he will take it away. Take it away, Graham. All right. Well, welcome to the Shattered Isles, a sea of adventure, treasure, exploration, and discovery. Across these islands, we'll experience tales of daring buccaneers, of rakish swashbucklers, and infamous pirates. We'll tell stories of free sailors who fight back against the greedy reach of an empire. We'll tell tales of a barbaric goblin tribes who haunt the ruins of an ancient kingdom. We'll tell tales of the sea and its goddess and her lover, the Storm King. We'll tell of the sailor's devil who trades a dark pact for a second chance at life and of the weak weird terrors that dream deep beneath the waves. We'll tell stories of the ancient ones and their great ruins that are hidden within the islands. In all of these tales, be prepared for great treasures, wondrous discoveries, and incredible seafaring adventure. And so now jumping into the plot. The dinghy's oars plunge into the beautiful turquoise blue waters. Beneath the dinghy, under perhaps 15 feet of water, the sea floor is covered in a vibrant coral reef that teems with sea life. Hundreds of fish dart about the reef in schools. Starfish crawl slowly across the coral. Crabs scuttle into the shadow of your uh, dinghy, and you even spot an eel disappearing back into its lair. As your dinghy's oars plunge again into the water, the seven people aboard the dinghy are carried away from a sailing ship in the distance. That sailing ship, the Sturge, sits offshore at anchor, unable to approach closer due to these coral reefs. The ship boasts dark sails and flies no flag, a pirate ship to be sure. The oars pull the dinghy closer to its destination, a small island that you've almost reached. The island's coast is made up of luxurious white sand beaches and perilous sea cliffs. Within this coastal ring of beaches and cliffs, the island is full of dense, mysterious jungle, with high plateaus that gain in elevation until they meet at the base of a sharp peak at the heart of the island. 
aboard this dinghy, crewing it, and wielding these oars that carry the dinghy from that sailing ship to this mysterious island are seven people. Each of them, uh, each of you, a crew member of that infamous pirate ship, the Sturge. In the prow of the dinghy, leading the expedition, is the first mate of the Sturge, a cruel human woman by the name of Estrid, who is as mean-tempered as the cat of nine tails whip that she wears on her belt at all times. However, it is the other six crew members aboard this dinghy that are the focus of our adventure. It is these six crew members who will sail the high seas of the Shattered Isles, who will plunder riches beyond compare, explore uncharted isles full of ancient ruins and great adventure, and discover the secrets of that ancient civilization that once claimed these lands. It is these six crew members who will make a name for themselves in the Shattered Isles. So before we go any further into the exploration of this uncharted isle, let's begin by introducing these six crew members. Rubert, you introduced our podcast, so why don't you introduce yourself first? Uh, I want to know specifically a bit about your character's backstory, a bit about what they look like, their personality, their bond, ideal, and flaw. And once you've introduced your character, go ahead and pick the next person uh, to introduce themselves. Uh, this is like a proper Zoom call, you know, like a work meeting <laughs> with icebreakers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, good. I was worried this was going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, I'm Ryan, and I will be playing Rubert. Oh, sorry, Rubert Graysand, a half-elf bard and uh, son of renowned pirate Alans Graysand. He was born and raised on the Golden Maid, his father's ship, and spent most of his young life with the uh, deck of a ship below his feet. Um, although he was, you know, the son of the captain, he was never given any like special treatment. He was made to work and earn his keep, although he was taught how to uh, swing a sword and to sing song like all the other sailors aboard the ship. Um, he tragically lost his father when they went on a mission, and he, uh, well, Alans left Rubert in Port uh, Providence uh, for fear that uh, on this dangerous mission, uh, Rubert would lose his life. Um, the ship never returned shore and Rubert, uh, feared the worst. And unfortunately the worst was confirmed as one solitary crew member of the golden maid arrived into port Providence and brought ill tidings about a dark, mysterious attack. Some otherworldly alien shape figure attacked the ship and all the crew were lost. And this man was jittering mad as he told this story. And that was basically the only, only thing he could get out of this one crew member. Um, and so as a result, Rubert's one goal is to find his father's ship, the golden maid and the treasure that lies beneath the waves. Um, yeah. Rubert is a, a uh, slightly tall man standing at about 5'11". He uh, strikes a lean figure. He has dark hazel eyes and well-groomed, short, dark black hair that he usually keeps swept back and kind of kind of greased back, although it, of course, you know, gets the salt spray in it. Um, he has a uh, well-trimmed black goatee, usually wrapped around some rakish smile as he's confidently, you know, winking at all the maids and uh, singing his songs. Uh, he dresses pretty well, wears like a uh, dark black and brown leathers with a uh, a red 
hooded cloak that he uh, uses to stand out among the uh, among his fellow pirates. Uh, he has a rapier tucked into his belt, as well as his uh, father's lucky gold-handled dagger at his side. Wears a uh, bandolier of daggers because he's a um, well. He is a bard, um, and he knows how to play like a lute and a number of other instruments. He is more of a physical performer. He likes to do knife tricks and uh, like juggles daggers and like throws knives at targets and uh, d- yeah, does a lot of physical performances, but yeah, he's a uh, very confident and uh, well-to-do young man, probably more confident than someone of his young age of 20 should be. But um, yeah, and his personality traits, he's known to exaggerate stories and embellish details to glory, both himself and his companions. He never misses the chance to break the tension of a situation with either a joke or just some cutting words. Uh, His ideal is that he will live up to, not only live up to, but surpass the fame and glory of his father and to make uh, a name for himself as a renowned sailor and pirate. Um, His main bond is to his father and his father's ship. And uh, because like his father and his crew are what made him who he is today. But his biggest flaw uh, as a bard, uh, an overconfident bard, is that he will usually put himself and his friends in danger if it means the uh, opportunity for a great story. Classic. <laughs> the end his friends is a nice touch. Damn. As a DM, I'm a huge fan of that flaw. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it makes for great storytelling for just, you know, hey, you know, let's pull out, let's pull up the size of this kraken. <laughs> let's see what it, gets, what it has to say. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's Rubert. Uh, let's go to. I want to hear from Zell Nern. All right, um, I'm Daniel, and I play Zell Nern. I call the Hrothnard <laughs> Dwarves oh, my clan. Though, as you can see from my giant spiked shell, I am in fact a turtle. I was rescued as a. It's going to be a long podcast, folks. Buckle in. As my veil of brothers and sisters, just hours old, were eaten alive and terrorized by giant coastal rocks. The Harakamar took me in and named me Zelnern, or Shell Friend. I have lived and trained as a barbarian among them as one of their own. I am eternally grateful for all they have done for me. Now, I must return the favor... The dwarf situation since the last Everstorm has been dire. Survival in the sea caves is unsustainable, so I have gone out in search of treasures and opportunities to bring back home. Personality <laughs> trait. Slow and steady wins the race. I love it. Ideal people. I help people who help me. That's why that's what keeps us alive. Bond. My family and clan are the most important thing in my life, even when they are far from me. Flaw. I have an incredibly debilitating phobia of rocks and other large flying birds. <laughs> oh my one! Oh my god! So, just to describe Zelnern a bit, he is a bit stout for a turtle, but it's helped him fit in among his dwarven brothers. So he never really noticed that. Uh, he has a pale greenish gray skin and a rather spiky green and turquoise shell. 
He has many piercings and rings from his clan and has always has an axe or two on him, along with his steel drum. All of these possessions make him feel closer to home. Zell may not be the quickest one to act or to think, uh, but when he does, it's deliberate and with certainty. Um, his dwarven diet that included much heavier water has led to a buildup of minerals on his shell that ha- he's exaggerated over the years by f- filing into sharper and sharper spikes. Um, he's also secretly always wanted to be able to grow a beard. So for clarity, uh, Zilnern was a, uh, he's a total barbarian. Is that total what I heard? Barbarian, yep. Barbarian and... Uh... Uh, slow and steady. I'm interested to see that rage come to come to bear in this. Oh yeah, That's he gets part. a little quicker when he is in rage mode, but you will come to find that. I'm excited. I'm excited. Someone poke him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I right, go, go ahead and Zelda oh, and yes. uh, pass and, it on to uh, Celeste. Why don't you go next? Yes, definitely. Um, so I'll be playing Celeste once. One second. Rolling up a so, character. Um, <laughs> I accidentally closed out my notes, so thank you. Um, so Celeste is a descendant of the smaller tribe that coexisted with the ancient ones, um, the first to inhabit these isles, but were driven out from the Everstorm. Though the lands were lost, Celeste grew up on the stories of her people and her culture, with a prophecy saying that a child of the stars would lead her family back home. When it was revealed that her grandmother, a half-moon elf, was the one that the prophecy spoke of, but she did not fulfill, um, Celeste was the one who took it upon herself to fulfill her family's prophecy and find the lands that belonged to her people and unearth her history. Um, So she's been following her deck and very convinced that they have guided her to a pirate ship and that this is how she will lead her her people home. Um, Also with that, she has been seeing... as her as her bond with that, I'm going to say that she's also been having visions of impending doom that she's pretty convinced is the Everstorm coming back. Um, but personality-wise, she thinks that the stars have given her a blessing and revealed a secret origin. And she also sees omens in every event and action that the stars guide us all and all we need to do is just listen and follow. Her ideal is that life is like the sea, always changing, and we must change with it. And then the flaw is that she is very overconfident in her taroga and will squeeze in the truth of it in every situation. Um, so she's a druid, circle of the stars, human, fey touched. Um, and so she is tall, young, very free-spirited, with long silvery hair, brown skin, and bright gray eyes. And then when you look at her skin, there's also like small rune and star tattoos in various places. Dope. Very cool. Excellent. Um, excited to see that character on the table as well. And it's much faster talking. Uh, <laughs> 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 and uh, who would you like to go next? Hey, let's hear from Finnegan. All right. Well, that's me. Uh, so I'm Ernie, and I'll be playing Finnegan. Uh, Finnegan is a shifter and a monk. Uh, he is sort of a old, kooky guy who has spent most of his very, very long life on various ships, on various travels. Uh, he's spent so much time alone up in the crow's nest, which is his usual haunt, 
uh, that he's found true monastic peace <laughs> and enlightenment. Uh, he had a very fateful night where he was, you know, up in the crow's nest as he does. And he came across a very cranky magical albatross who bit him. And that was what turned him into a shifter. So he is a, uh, an albatross shifter. <laughs> um, this sort of sudden transformation did not help his already extremely crusty brain. <laughs> crusty. <laughs> uh, so Finnegan is stout, uh, fairly short. He's uh, bald on top, often sunburned up there, but he has a very large bushy beard. Uh, he's got a beaky nose and yellow eyes. And when he is in his shifted form, uh, he sprouts feathers sporadically out of his beard that poke out. Um, his body hair turns into feather down. And he sprouts scaly bird flesh on his limbs. Uh, gross. Very beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's kind of gross. <laughs> he's a monster. He is not a monster. He's a he's a man bird. <laughs> Should all monsters trying to eat Finnegan be weary wary of like salmonella, or is that not a concern? <laughs> That's a great question. Mm, I'll think about that one. Uh, so for his uh, characteristics, his personality trait I call magpie. He's obsessed with shiny objects, which comes from his um, avian lineage. <laughs> Uh, he is both stubborn and curious. It just depends on his own whims and reasons. Uh, his ideal is something I call Call of the Wild. He's really a true explorer at heart. That's sort of all he knows. Um, he sees the world as a shiny nut waiting to be cracked. And he values freedom above, above all else. Uh, his bond I call Flock Mentality. <laughs> He uh, he feels particularly attached to the open sea and whatever crew he finds himself a part of. Um, he He's a team player. And his flaw is what I call bird-brained. Uh, he does things that make sense to him, but not necessarily everybody else. Love it. Strong vibes from this one. Love it. Can't wait. All right. <laughs> Can't Who wait would you like to go to next? Let's hear from Phil. Awesome. Uh, I'm Cameron, and I will be playing Fivel Collings. Uh, he goes by Phil for short, Phil Collins. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Phil uh, was once a smuggler of antiquities until he was forced to cease operations in in and around the Antian Archipel, Archipel, I'm sorry, um, when an unknown source began sharing information on his smuggling network, and it was basically dashed in the wind. Um, Phil has joined the expedition in hopes of finding the Fountain of Youth so that he can buy more time to build his enterprise back up. Um, a description of him, he's tall and lean with tan skin, sun-bleached hair. Uh, he wears a cavalier hat, um, it was once red, but now it's almost pink from wear, uh, tattered adventures, clothes, like including rope sandals, goggles, 
Um, goggles kind of imagine he's a human artificer. So like classic artificer is what I was thinking. Um, total pirate rings on every finger covered in tattoos, some missing teeth, some gold teeth. Uh, and he has a pointed goatee and mustache. Um, for personality traits, Phil's pretty independent. Uh, he's a free spirit and really only his crew can reason with him. Um, for ideals, smugglers code through and through. Uh, he upholds the unwritten rules of smugglers. Uh, he doesn't cheat other smugglers and will never directly harm innocents. For bonds, um, he since his smuggling ring Genesis was dashed in the wind, um, he basically is vowed to find whoever divulged information on his operation. And his flaw is that he believes everyone can be bought, and uh, he's cynical towards those who present themselves as virtuous. Cheated ass pirate. Oh yeah, he's like <laughs> classic pirate. I love it. Um, Brendan, you want to take it away? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, hey, I'm Brendan. Bring us home. Uh, I'm playing Jules. Uh, Jules is a kind of famed and renowned explorer, but from another land. Uh, there's a little wrinkle though. Uh, while they have quite the reputation in the mainland, outside of the Shattered Isles. Uh, when Jules came here seeking the glories uh, and treasures that were rumored to be here. Uh, unfortunately, they ran into a bit of an accident, um, bit off a bit more than they could chew, falling victim to a trap in one of the uh, tombs here that were laid for overconfident explorers, just like Jules. Um, and Jules died, or almost died, uh, and kind of in the haze as they were slipping away from this plane, they were approached by someone, something, Jules isn't really sure. Um, and Jules was offered another chance to sort of keep their story going, to keep their legacy going in exchange uh, for taking away the story that had come up to that point. So... Jules kind of entered into this pact to gain a new undying life uh, and started their new life as a warlock. Um, and But at that moment, their skills, their knowledge, their experience, their languages were all taken and starting now as a, as a new freshly minted warlock. Um, and Jules's body was kind of branded with this... Uh, almost like a blood filigree that sounds a lot grosser than it is, but it's like a, it's like, it's like a, it's like a scarification kind of tattoo. That's like a reminder from the patron. I think that, you know, Jules is owned in a sense and maybe, maybe what Jules gave up wasn't quite enough to pay back that debt. Although I don't think Jules is quite sure. Um, so not exactly knowing what the full extent of that is. Jules is driven to, um, both, yeah, it kind of has two main bonds. One is to, um, you know, regain this, this position on a pedestal as this adventurer who has attained these great deeds and has this reputation. Um, but also to, um, this, you know, repay this bond to this warlock or otherwise somehow find, find their way out of that deal. Um, 
so that their glory is their own and not shared with whoever this entity is. Um, physical description, Jules is kind of average height, slightly lanky, not, not bulky in their build, kind of has a confident but relaxed posture. I think, uh, you know, being saved from death and joining the undying as a warlock probably carries itself can be, you know, can be seen in Jules's posture, a little tired. Um, they have white blonde hair that's kind of cut short above uh, their face, which is kind of bald and well-maintained. Uh, Jules has very light brown eyes that almost look yellow. Uh, their features are solid and soft, uh, but with like a strong and slender jaw. Uh, very pale skin, apart from the thin red lines that make up this mark which takes the shape of plants leaves or flowers kind of drawn in their their blood um which never quite seems to heal and they wear practical loose fitting kind of earthy tones whenever they're not wearing leather armor to try to you know survive um but sometimes jewels will have to obscure that mark uh, with some wrappings that are generally kind of tightly worn to avoid drawing unwanted attention um Personality-wise, Jules is confident and eager and ready to kind of reclaim, you know, their reputation, but sort of unsure about being a warlock and uh, isn't quite ready to be seen for, you know, what they have become. Ideals, discovery is the purest and most worthy pursuit, uh, but fame and glory sure don't hurt. Um, <laughs> and then the flaws... Along with that confidence comes this fly I like to think of as my eyes are bigger than my stomach. Uh, Jules's overconfidence and eagerness sometimes get them into trouble uh, because especially now that they're back to a level one warlock, not quite sure what abilities are there or what abilities used to be there. That's me. Thank I think you. I'm last one. Sounds great. Um, so if that's nice. everyone, uh, so it sounds like... Um, to recap, the uh, group we have before us is Ruber, a human bard, Zelnern, sorry, oh, a half elf, Ruber, a half elf bard. Uh, yes. Oh, that's also, yeah, that's something I really didn't go into in Ruber's character description was that he, ha he has no idea who his mother is. Um, he always got conflicting stories from his father about who his mother was. And, um, yeah, he was always told a bunch of different stories, all usually conflicting stories, and so that's one of uh, like one of the reasons he kind of loves story and song is that he was always told all these grandiose stories about who his mother was, and so uh, yeah, that's a uh, yeah, it's it, so it is kind of sad, but like it was always flavored in a way that was always exciting and never sad, <laughs> so he never was like he never dwelled on it too much. But yeah, he's a half elf. <laughs> <laughs> right. Quick, uh, quick meta outside the podcast moment. Was that description of Jules just way too long? Should I go back and like do an? No, that was fine. Version of that. Fine. You're good, buddy. You all took about five minutes, so you're all about even. You're good. Hi. All right. <laughs> back in. All right. <clears throat> so it sounds like we have. Celeste, a fey-touched uh, human druid, a, a Finnegan, a shifter monk, Phil Collins, a human artificer, Jules, a human warlock, Rubert, a half-elf bard, and Zell Nern, a total barbarian. Uh, it's a unique little crew. It's a remarkably human 
for uh, uh, most adventures. So I'm excited to see that you can fit in in a normal town without people being confused about the odd collection of folks walking in. Uh, that's going to be interesting. I, um, and so uh, it sounds like all of your characters, they have their own reasons for having signed yourself to the pirate crew of the Sturge. Some of you are seeking to find and exceed your father's legacy. Some seeking the fountain of youths. Other to bring back riches to give a new home to your adopted family. Others to fulfill a prophecy. Some of you seeking to restore your own glory. And some of you uh, because you happened to already be in the crow's nest when the uh, boat took off. Uh, I live here. That one is Finnegan. Uh, You signed on believing that the Sturge would be the answer to your hopes and dreams, only to find out that you've been tasked with the most basic drudge work. Every day for over, what, 30 days now, you've been here for over a month, every day has been spent doing hard, filthy labor that only the lowest on the ship are made to do. You sleep in the scrub deck, a narrow cavity under the forecastle that's not large enough to stand in. You're fed last from meals, or sometimes not at all, and your grog rations are so small, you're starting to get a tingling of the seaman's fever. That is to say, what we in the real world know as uh, scurvy, but the people of the Shattered Isles have no idea what it is, so they call it the seaman's fever, and it's if you don't get enough grog. Uh <laughs> But today, that all can change. For reasons unknown to you, maybe fate, maybe an accident, uh, the captain of the Sturge, the infamous pirate Captain Laskalar, has picked you six to accompany his first mate to go ashore and carry out an important task for him. Uh, That task at hand um, is actually to go and recover buried treasure he has found captain laskalar has come into possession of a map not through legitimate means he has come into possession of a map to another fellow pirate's buried treasure here on this island he has sent his first mate ashore along with six crew members yourself to try and recover that buried treasure uh so you are now uh currently rowing as we described uh towards the island ready to beat yourself there and uh begin searching for this buried treasure. If you find it and succeed, you'll surely win the captain's honor. You probably can't get rich on just this buried treasure because there's nowhere off this island. Uh, it is a deserted, uncharted island out in the middle of the Shattered Isles. So your hopes of escape, if that was your goal, pretty low here. Uh, but you might be able to win favor with the captain Uh, with Captain Laskalar of the Sturge, and uh, maybe get off the scrub watch, able to do good tasks, and actually, like, start fulfilling your goals and your dreams. Um, And so that's where we pick up, with you six in the, uh, in the uh, dinghy, as it pulls up to the beach, and the, uh, the first mate, uh, Astrid, uh, shouts for uh, some of you to get out and drag the dinghy up onto shore. Uh, you splash out. She does as well, but you see that cat of nine tails whip still at her side that she uses to lash people whenever they uh, disobey orders. Uh, you all get out and you drag this big old this big dinghy that can fit probably ten people up onto shore and wedge it into the sand with the waves crashing against it. You turn and look to see that the uh, beach around you is a, it's a beautiful white sand beach. Uh, it's luxurious expanse of it uh, that rises kind of in front of you slowly until it hits a uh, 
incredibly dense and foreboding jungle full of uh, ancien nut trees and palm trees and vines and moss. And beyond those towering trees and dense foliage, you can see the rising plateaus of, uh, of the island's hills itself that are kind of level and flat and without trees up above that go higher and higher until they eventually reach the base of an incredibly sharp peak at the center of the island. Looking to your left, to the east, you can see that there is a couple hundred yards away, there is a uh, like a small ruined old stone wall, clearly the remnant of some ancient architecture. And then to your right, to the west, you can see that there is a uh, or to the right, to the west, there is a um, sort of towering cliff face not far away with the waves crashing against it. Other than that, the only things around you are white sand, dense jungle, and the water you just got out of. As you disembark from the boat, uh, it's not long before, uh, like as you're like finishing pulling the boat onto the onto the beach itself, that the uh, first mate, Astrid, turns and starts shouting out orders. All right, we're here to find ourselves a... We're here to find ourselves the treasure, and there's no time to waste. The Nasha could be on us at any time. All right, so you're going to split up into groups. Celeste, Zell, you two are going to search those cliffs off that direction. Finnegan and Robert, search er, search the east beach. Towards that wall and whatnot. Jules and Fivel, you got not the best eyes on the boat. The two of you've got to unload the gear. Get to it. I want you I wanna find this path as soon as possible. What you're looking for, according to the map, she holds it up. According to the map, the treasure of the Nasher, the pirate crew of the Nasher, is located somewhere on this on this island. Now the path it says is hidden. Near this wall, she points to the wall nearby, uh, that ruined stone wall, the uh, treasure's hidden there, and uh, somewhere along here, we're able to find a trail cut into the rock or the jungle, not sure, but it should lead up to a bluff above. I want you finding that as quick as you can. You know, we can't be here too long, or else the Nasher will start to notice. So get to it. Again, Celeste and Zell, you're checking out those beach cliffs. Finnegan and Rubert, I want you to search that wall and the area around it. Jules, Fivel, unload the gear so we can get to it. Come on, scram, she says. Aye, aye. Um, aye, aye, Captain. First and you mate. see all, you see if you make any attempt to uh, hinder, she reaches for the cat of nine tails. Uh, <laughs> I start to perceive the cliff walls. Uh, so Celeste and Zell, you uh, you head off towards those uh, beach cliff or those cliff walls off to the side, uh, while Finnegan and Rubert, you head off towards the uh, the wall. Yes. And uh, now Phil and uh, Jules, uh, Phil, for one, you noticed that she was calling you Fivel, likely in a uh, uh, mocking way. Uh, while meanwhile, uh, Phil and Jules, it, how do you feel about having been made to just unload gear while everyone else goes to uh, adventure? How do your characters feel about that? Yeah, sh- this is pretty humiliating. I mean, surely, <laughs> surely, she must know who I am, right? Or, I mean, maybe, maybe not. Uh, is your deck hand? <laughs> I, guess I think. Uh, no, I think I think I'm used to it. I'm like, man. Uh, 
I really wish she uh, would call me Phil, uh, but you know that I'm not going to say anything. That whip really hurts. Uh, yeah, hey, you guys, you forgot the shovels. And I, I give each of the adventuring parties shovels as they leave. Oh, thank you. I, Thanks, how could I, Phil. How, how could I have forgotten? You know, so one day, one day we're going to be piloting our own ship, and we're not going to have to listen to people like this. And then everyone will call you Phil. All right. And uh, uh, Jules and uh, Phil, you see that uh, the first mate hasn't stepped far away from you guys as you're grumbling. Uh, she's looking at the uh, map, trying to study it to make sure she's interpreting it correctly. She's being, being, being very careful to make sure you all can't see it, and only she has access to it. Uh, so we're going to focus first on Finnegan and Rubert's search of the, uh, of the eastern beach towards the direction of that old ancient wall. Uh, so the two of you step away from the crowd, the old kook uh, Finnegan and the uh, young swashbuckler Rubert, as this unlikely uh, combo steps down the white sand beach. Uh, you two have met before on the boat. Um, but you've been working so hard, you probably don't know each other super well at this point. Like, you're familiar with one another, but you're not like, oh, hey, best friend, what's hanging out? Um, yeah, that's a thing. What's hanging out? What's uh, hanging out? What's hanging out? Good. It's good, 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 just pirate uh, talk. And uh, <laughs> so down, looking down the... Uh, south or down that uh, eastern beach for the two of you uh you kind of look down you see like the beach carries on for a good long while white sand um with jungle like dense foreboding jungle on your left at this point and uh sea on the right uh, and then there is in front of you really the only thing that stands out in the sand is this ruined ancient wall um, that stands maybe 10 feet high. Most of it, the structure or whatever it was connected to, is buried deep beneath the sand and waves. Uh, where would, How would you two like to go about searching for this path? Apparently there is a path that's somehow supposed to lead up to the bluffs above, and that that's the first clue in this treasure map. How do the two of you go about trying to find this path? Uh, well, first of all, I believe we should be looking for perhaps footprints. If we're not the only ones on this island, then there may be others here that could, you know, lead us there instead of making us do all of the hard work. <laughs> what do your bird eyes see, old man? Uh, I would like to look around and see if I spot anything that looks out of place, like maybe footsteps or maybe something on the wall that doesn't look like it should be there. Yeah, all right, go ahead and make a perception check for me. Uh, and you'll note that uh, I believe, uh, Finnegan, you are great at perceiving it, if I'm not right. And that, yeah. uh, Rubert, you're pretty good, too. Uh, oh, it hit on a corner. Can I reroll that? Yeah, it's yeah, a jank course. die. Reroll it. <laughs> I can't even see it, so just pick whatever you want it to be, really. Uh, Meanwhile, back oh, on the ship, good. Uh, Jules is having the realization that, wow, they sent that old man... <laughs> lives in the bird's nest and they didn't send me <laughs> I, I see everything <laughs> uh, sorry Finnegan I missed that number what was it 23 wow alright so I've rolled a... really good <laughs> I'm sure yeah I, I totally believe you uh, I you. <laughs> uh, so you do actually you, you scan this area pretty well as the two of you walk around um, it's really hard to see if there's footprints in sand you know because it's sand 
um, and it's not wet or anything, so there's no, like, indication of things sinking in. It is all full of, like, rounded dunes, because it's sand. Um, <laughs> but uh, there isn't... It's in sand. <laughs> but it, like, it, nothing clearly pops out to you. Uh, what does... It does to you look like something's come through here, maybe... Um, or, like, the sand's been disturbed in a way that's not just wind, but it's hard to tell. Is that footprints? Is that a walrus? Yes, tropical walruses uh, flopping its <laughs> way down the beach. Uh, is it, uh, I don't know, it, it did a dragon swoop by here for a moment and then fly off? Could be any of these things, or all three, a dragon walrus. Um, and, uh, however, as you do look around, what pops out to you is uh, next to this old ruined wall, which... As you look at it, it's it's clearly the tide covers, submerges the wall most of the time, or quite often. Often enough that dead coral clings to the uh, parts of the wall, and like any like writing or old text or any evidence of who made this wall is long since worn away by the sea. Um, but as you look around it, you do see there's actually at the highest point of the wall, like seeming like intentionally stuffed out of the way of uh, where the tide would get it. Uh, there is a old sun-bleached backpack kind of hanging up there. Hmm. I see that something. Is... <laughs> All right, stay back. I'll take a closer look. I wouldn't want you to hurt yourself. Hey, I am I may not be a spring chicken, but... <laughs> I can take care of myself. <laughs> a spring albatross. I may not be a spring chicken, but I am an albatross man. <laughs> <laughs> so i i Rubetter, you shove your way forward uh putting on a sh- like a chivalristic act of oh i'll take care of this no need to hurt uh yourself uh and regard damn the consequences of condescending finnegan uh <laughs> so you approach the wall first yes confidently there you uh, go. yeah <laughs> uh yeah uh Rubert, yeah, approaches, uh, and you said the backpack's, like, hanging off the wall? Yeah, maybe 15 feet up. Uh, 10 is there feet any, up. Like... The wall is only 10 feet high. 10 feet up. Okay. Um, are there any, like, handholds, maybe, that I could, like, attempt to climb up, maybe? Yeah, the wall is pretty well-worn, and there's dead coral clinging to it, and barnacles, assuming barnacles grow in tropical environments. Uh and uh, so it's kind of ouchy to climb, but it sounded like you had leather gloves on earlier, so you're probably mm-hmm. fine. You know. I, yeah, I mean, I play with knives, of course. So yeah, you could probably climb it without uh, much difficulty. It seems like it makes pretty good handholds. So you easily get up high enough to unhook the backpack from the uh, little ledge it's clinging to and uh, bring it down to the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at the backpack, it has been up there for a while. It is salt cake to the sun has bleached any color of dye out of it. Um, however, it seems to be in fine enough shape, suggesting it hasn't been submerged in the water. It is like its drawstrings are pulled shut, uh, making it where nothing could get in. The only damage on it is a clear puncture wound on the back. Hmm. So like thin, like maybe like a rapier or a like sword? Uh, yeah, it's thinner than like a long sword or a broadsword, but a cutlass or rapier might have made this size mm-hmm. of hole. Um, though it seems mm-hmm. a little more uh tar- like less uh it's not that quite so wide it's more of a circular yeah. hole uh could i attempt to like i don't know uh, like peer through it maybe before opening it uh yeah down it's here sunny there's not much you can see inside it there's there are definitely things in it 
Nothing seems to be moving or alive in it, but there's definitely like objects in it. I'm like waiting at the bottom of this cliff and I'm, I've stretched out my hands and I'm like gesturing now. <laughs> <laughs> so Finnegan's down there like, give me! Uh, just trying to get the bag as you're kind of like crouched up on the wall trying to get a good view in on it. Uh, yeah, it seems da- it seems uh, dangerous to open this up here. I'll toss it down to Finnegan. Finnegan, you catch the old backpack in your hands and like one of the bag straps breaks. It's so old that just like catching it was enough to rip it. Uh, but the bag's contents don't spill out. You know, I'm gonna... clamber my way down. <laughs> I will wait for Rubert to come down and then I'll like like I've been trying my hardest to wait and then I'll <laughs> fling open the top as soon as he gets <laughs> next to me. Uh You've sure enough found the treasure. I mean, it must be. As you pull open this bag, you find a coil of 50 feet of hempen rope. Not to mention an old bedroll that's become a rat's nest that even the rat abandoned. It's so old. And then finally, a water skin with a hole punctured in one side and something rattling around within. And then the real treasure, a fully stocked tinderbox. I uh, am obsessed with whatever's rattling around, and I do whatever I can to get it out. <laughs> How do you go about So you see that uh, there's basically like a puncture wound, about the same size as the uh, puncture wound in the uh, backpack, in one side of this water skin. But there is no... Uh, it, like, it doesn't look like it exited. So there's a puncture wound, and there's something rattling around in there. What do you do to try to get that... Basically rip open this water skin, or get something out of the water skin? Uh, I'm guessing that it wouldn't just, like, fit out the nozzle if I tipped it it over. It doesn't. You hear it kind of get stuck in there, but then you can shake it free. (laughs) Okay, I think I probably just rip open the water skin. All right, you kind of take a minute. What's your strength score? Uh, it is 10. All right, it's kind of hard to do that, you know, you feel it, and you realize that you might need a blade to actually get in there and fully rip this water skin open. It's a hard-caked leather flask. Uh, does anyone have a blade that, or either of you have a blade you'd like to apply to this? Oh, I stick course. my hand out and start gesturing to Rubert with my mm. hand again. Yeah, I pull <laughs> one of the one of the four daggers I have on a bandolier, <laughs> and like give, give me that, fl- give me that. Flip it, like catch it by the blade, and then like hand over the handle. So showy, <laughs> I love it. Uh, That's perfect. <laughs> the blade is handled to you, so you've just seen such elegance and showmanship with a blade. How do you wield this blade to cut this open? Well, I'm hmm, I'm not a a blade type guy. So, <laughs> I probably just kind of hold it like blade side down just kind of, you know, like so serial killer like, style. <laughs> like, <laughs> imagine almost like uh pecking, almost like a bird yeah. style of pecking to stab a yes. hole in it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, you know, all right, so Finnegan, after massacring this uh, this water skin, uh, you've successfully created a big enough hole that you're able to get your hand in there and pull or like dump out the thing that's rattling around within. And sure enough, it certainly is treasure. An old stone arrowhead topples to the ground. Is it shiny? Uh, it is of stone that's not been well polished, so it's not really shiny. Okay, I see its potential, and I pocket it. <laughs> hey, that could be the treasure we seek. You cannot just pocket it. 
fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll keep it, I'll keep it safe. So Finnegan, you took a moment there to kind of study it to see is this shiny. I want you to make a history check, or like, what's your history score actually? Uh, your proficiency in, because you're proficient in history, right? Yes, so that would be a plus three. Wow. Yeah, uh, Finnegan, just looking at this right out of the gate, this, you realize, is a goblin arrow. Um, That backpack clearly was not of goblin creation, but the shoddy craftsmanship of this arrowhead, this is certainly a goblin's arrow. Suggesting that there might be goblins on this island. However, the two of you finish your search around the area and don't find any sort of path. Meanwhile, we're going to hop over to uh, uh, Celeste, or actually, we're going to hop over to uh, Jules and Phil, your uh, conversation back on the uh, boat as you're still unloading gear. Uh, you find that there's, among your gear that you've brought uh, for, on this dinghy, you've got, a, you've got shovels, several lengths of rope for climbing, a block and tackle even for climbing. Uh, and you've got, uh, you don't have any sort of camping gear or overnight gear. You, of course, have the weapons and armor that a lot of you uh, normally equip yourselves with. Those were uh, made available to you. Um, but you don't have, like, your backpacks for, like, camping gear and whatnot. Um, but as you're unloading it, you do note that there actually is an erectable mass mast that can be added to this dinghy if you so needed as well as a sail equipped to it so this dinghy technically isn't just rowable it can be uh it can be uh sailed and i wish people weren't silent laughing to erectable mast um, um erectable mass is very different than erectable mast i want to make that uh so um You've uh, you like kind of take stock of what's in there, and as you're taking these backpacks and like you kind of drop them off on the sand, and then uh, the first mate barks an order at you to bring them up higher. That's too close to the tide line, and you're dragging them through the sand, and it's just an unenjoyable process. Uh, I need both of you to actually tell me what your passive perception is. Eleven, uh, ten. Okay. Um. So as you uh, are kind of like grumbling to each other about that they sent the old man to go and uh to go and investigate and me a famous adventurer is made to unload gear and then uh phil you seem to be used to this with uh the first mate astrid <laughs> uh i'm wondering do the bull do either of you fear the first mate i think i um, probably should but uh i just naively think i'd be able to take her somehow <laughs> Phil did. Phil didn't fear her until he got the whip. I would guess. Mm. Um, to to Jules's anecdote, Phil would probably be like, "Hey, man, you know, you know what they say? You got you beware an old man in a profession where men usually die young. You know what I'm saying? There's something about that Finnegan. I don't know. I don't know yet. That tracks, honestly." Maybe maybe I should be a little more careful around that guy. I'm just saying. I don't know. I guess he survived this long. What's his story anyway? I mean, I hear he came with the boat. <laughs> I don't know. I, I climbed up the mast and I almost fell I fell off. It was scary. Did, just, he, did he push you? No, he was just hanging out up there. <laughs> that would scare me off too. 
I imagine his like eyes peeping over the top of the Christmas tree. Oh, you're so the one you... who found him. So as you both uh, talk about someone that frightens you, but it turns out it's not so much the first mate as much as it is the mysterious bird person. Uh, um, you, uh, the moment you kind of notice that there are some weird growths on the trees at the uh, edge of the jungle. Like there, there's a couple of palm trees kind of sticking right out in the jungle. Um, but there are weird growths on them, like strange bulbous tumors that the trees shouldn't have. Are either of you horticulturally inclined? I do not study such things. Yeah, well, me neither. Happen, maybe. But um, is Astrid, does she have the map open? Yeah. Okay. Um, how about, can I point those out to Astrid? Just be like, hey, hey boss, can you look look at those trees? And when she turns, can I like try and steal a look at the map? Ooh, go ahead and make a deception check for me to see if you can. Uh, Someone's getting the whip. Away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Look over there. <laughs> One second. I'm sorry. I'll never forgive you. I don't know what you did, uh, but it's uh, fifteen. Fifteen. Uh, Astrid turns. Uh, the map jerking. Uh, becoming quickly visible to you and uh, you and Jules. Both of you make perception checks. As uh, uh, the first mate looks over, it's uh, eighteen. Ooh. That's a two. Oh. Uh, Jules, Ooh. you are t- you're not even like looking at the map. You're just staring down the beach in the direction of the old man. <laughs> uh, the old man over there. Uh, meanwhile, uh, you with your clever, clever ruse, Phil Collins. Uh, you notice uh. You catch a quick glimpse of the map that looks like it shows uh, a loca- like a landing place with a wall at it, and that somewhere a trail leads from the landing place to a cliff face that uh, you quickly catch the words climate, and then another trail uh, leads out of climate, but it's a uh, or a series of three trails lead past that cliff face that all seem to be very interlocked and almost maze-like in description. You lose that and are unable to follow that uh, with your quick glance, but you see they seem to end at some uh, location that in big, big letters, clearly whoever wrote this map isn't good at uh, writing in small letters. Um, And this is written basically like, you know, yeah, so it's like uh, it's written in huge letters, but then some of them are squeezed down really tiny. Uh, It reads... uh, Big blocks buried at center. Oh, that's kind of different from where the other guys are getting sent, right? Can I interpret that? Uh, I mean, it showed that there's a wall at the place you're supposed to land. There is a wall at the place you've currently landed and a trail leading out of it. Oh, okay. Um, uh, as the first step being a trail leading to a cliff face. And it's that trail that you're currently trying to find. Um, okay. Are there... However, uh, you hear the uh, first mate kind of says, oh, I didn't even notice those up there. Thank God! Thank the gods, by Melora, that you provided that. Or told me that. Those are those are giant coconut crabs. I think we should uh, huddle up back towards the boat before those things get hungry. What? Uh, and uh, she, see, you kind of now seeing that she's pointed out about the growths. There are. Uh, you realize, oh, those are large crabs clinging to the trees, looking like oak, or looking like bark-colored growths. Each of them easily the size of a large dog, 
uh, that are clinging to this tree. There's about three of them in total uh, that you can see in the jungle. Um, So the first mate comes back towards the boat uh, in order to not let the crabs try and come after her. It doesn't seem like they're actively aggressive, but they might pick off a lone person if given the opportunity. We can take out some crabs, right? Well, hey, you know, I'm not really afraid of anything, but, you know, I'm not trying to speak out of turn either, but why don't we, like, we can move the boat a little bit closer to the wall, maybe? Um, as So as you suggest that, Phil, now let's quickly find out what's been happening uh, on the other side of the beach where Celeste and Zelnern went to investigate the cliffside. Uh, the two of you, uh, Celeste and Zelnern, the uh, fey-touched human druid and the Hortal Barbarian, uh, the two of you had the longest trek away from the group, which is why I came to you last. Um, as the two of you kind of shuffled your way through the sand over there, uh, Zell, Nern, are you slow at walking? Or are you kind of able to keep up, keep pace with, keep pace with Celeste? I, I can keep pace, but I'm taking a deliberate um, <laughs> slower pace because I don't want to lose anything along the way that could be a clue towards the path that we're trying to take. All right. I'm all um, for it because I believe that he might see an omen I miss. Also, I would like to point <laughs> out that this morning when I was attuning myself, I noticed that the beggar the beggar was on the horizon in the stars. And I think that's a good opportunity to point out that that could mean that there's a sudden change in economic status or fortune. So I'm feeling really good about about where we're going. Excellent. <laughs> I love that so much. And I've been explaining this the whole walk. <laughs> So Zell, uh, Celeste explains to you the various star signs and astrologies that they've uh, been seeing this morning um, while the two of you walk and you kind of are, you know, looking around at everything as you're going. So what's the, or eventually though, the two of you reach this uh, perilous cliff wall. Uh, So it's white sand beaches that jut up to suddenly like uh, probably 40 foot tall or maybe lower uh, cliff face wall that's this... uh, like rocky outcrop that juts out from the jungle and juts out past you and out into the water where the waves hit it. It sends up great splashes of water and there's spiked rocks all around it. It would suck to fall off or jump off this uh, like bluff if you were up above. And in fact, climbing it looks like a hassle. It's doable. A person who's any, or at least not negative at strength probably could do it pretty (laughs) easily. Uh, But Imagine trying to carry treasure up such a wall. That's that's unreasonable. Um, so it probably isn't like they probably didn't bury the treasure at the top of this climbing up it. Um, but so like as you reach this cliff face uh, and you know see that like the water's splashing against it on your left, how do you go about trying to search for a trail that leads up to the uh, uh, to the bluffs above, which is apparently the what the treasure map says to follow? Um, I think I actually will start by trying to climb up a little bit just to get a better bird's eye view of um, the ground. All right. Uh, so go ahead and make me, uh, for me, a DC 10 strength athletics because it's not so easy. It's impossible. And a failure will topple you down onto sharp rocks. 24. Okay. Uh, we're only rolling uh, <laughs> hard to very hard today. All right. Uh, you kind of step up to the rocks as Celeste laughs at the idea of being able to climb it and you slowly but deliberately place your hands on the correct handholds start climbing 
uh, it is a slow and steady wins the race kind of pace where it's like, oh, he's, he's making progress. There's no flashy moves, but he's getting up there. And after a just few like a minutes... You're being just like a beggar, Zelnern. It's so impressive. You don't look like someone who can climb, but boy, oh boy, like you show the wealth on the inside. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Zelnern, so are you trying to climb all the way to the top of this 40-foot bluff, or are you just trying to get like halfway up to kind of try and peer around you, or...? Um, Does it seem like it will be too difficult to climb all the way up? Uh, it looks like the DC kicks up to 15 to go higher than 20 feet. So you'll have to make one more check. I'll at least take a look at 20 then and see what All I right. can see. I uh, so, jump up and touch his toe, like try to touch the tail of him, um, knowing that so far this beggar on the horizon has caused good fortune to try to guide his way as if the stars themselves are guiding him up this cliffside. Oh, so you're using your uh, your Taroka deck predictions as your form of guidance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Uh, okay, so you uh, you give him guidance, so he gets plus 1d4 to his next ability check roll, which is going to be a perception check. So go ahead, uh, Zell, make a perception check uh, with advantage because uh, uh, Celeste is also helping as well as having cast guidance. Oh, helping as well? So uh, 21 then with her help. 21. All right. Uh, the two of you glance around and uh, Zelnern, you from this vantage, you actually, most people would have missed it, but you grew up in sea caves. So you actually see that the way that the currents are flowing suggests that uh, there is a sea cave hidden on the, uh, or hidden on the other side of this cliff. Like if you wade out into the water a bit, you could circle around to where there's probably a sea cave where the water is flooding out of. Uh, other than that, though, there doesn't seem to be any clear trail. Um, I explained that to Celeste on my my deliberately slow crawl back down. <laughs> All right. Uh, you reached the bottom. So Celeste and, uh, and Zell, you found that there's a sea cave in this uh, rock face um, just around, basically around the corner of it. Um, but you haven't necessarily found a trail. Do you want to go investigate that sea cave on your own, or do you want to return to the group and tell them that you found a cave? I mean, it might be good to know what's already in it instead of making multiple trips. All right. I will. Um, I can wait out and get in there, or do you want to come with? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll come with. All right. The two of you wade into the water, and... Uh, Zelnern, you as a turtle are able to hold your breath for a remarkable amount of time, right? Um, an, hour. an hour. Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the two of you wait out. Uh, Celeste, what's your constitution modifier? My constitution modifier is plus one. All right. So yours is more like a minute, yeah. where uh, Zell's is more like an hour. Yeah. Um, so as the two of you kind of get out towards the water, you get maybe waist deep, uh, and then it starts to get a little bit deeper. Uh, for Zelnern, because he's a tortle, and he's a short tortle at that, uh, it's more like up to his shoulders, but he doesn't care because he just holds his breath. Um, <laughs> Celeste, it's maybe up to your, uh, you're tall, so it's maybe like a little bit halfway up your chest, like waist, I guess. Uh, and then as the two of you are moving across the cliff face, um, the water is warm. It's not super salty. A couple fish are darting by, and this area seems relatively clear of coral, so you're not getting like scratched and scrabbled up. But you circle around to the uh, far side, 
and you do sure enough find a narrow sea cave big enough to accommodate one, maybe two people if they're squeezing next to each other uh, in width at a time. A large creature would struggle to get through here, but a person could easily get through it. A human-sized creature could easily get through it. And as the two of you kind of look inside it and peer up, you realize this sea cave actually seems to have been bored straight through the rocky outcrop and leads up to the bluff above, suggesting that this is, in fact, the trail you've been looking <sighs> for. Knew it. The stars have guided <laughs> us here. Do we keep going? Do the you two should... of you keep following? Oh, go ahead. We should turn back and get the rest of them. The uh, the patient, well thought words of Zelnur, and you hear those, Celeste. Do you go for the? Do you ignore them and push on anyways, or do you, the two of you turn around to uh, go flag the rest of them to tell them that you found the trail? Well, Zelnur seems pretty lucky right now, so I take one last look at the sea cave, but I I, I guess I'll trust him, and we'll go back. It, it is best to have our full strength behind us. <laughs> All right, um, you, uh, so this is just as uh, Phil was saying, well, maybe we should move the boat closer to that seawall, or closer to that wall. Uh, at this point is right when uh, when uh, Rubert and Finnegan return, Finnegan holding a backpack and an arrowhead, uh, or no, arrowhead's tucked away, but clutching an old backpack, and... Uh, Rubert, uh, like shaking his head, probably saying, suggesting there's no. Uh, oh no, uh, we found it. We found the grand treasure. Uh, and so, as, <laughs> as you say that, uh, at the same time, Finnegan, or not Finnegan, uh, Zelnern and uh, Celeste are also returning. Um, so you're all kind of regathered back at the boat, um, where there's these uh, three crabs sort of gathered up on the trees, not. 15, 20 feet away from you. Mm. Uh, Celeste I, and Finnegan. I eye them suspiciously. Like, we, yeah. Do we want to do anything that. about those? Let sleeping crabs lie. <laughs> no, Zelnern is right. They're just crabs. I, I lick only... my lips a little bit. <laughs> uh, Celeste and Finnegan, you two, I think, both have the highest passive perception at 15. Uh, the both of you are uh, aware that the idea that these are sleeping crabs seems a little bit unrealistic, as one of them has just shuffled down to the bottom of the tree. Ooh, yeah, these are these are moving. I feel like unless they're sleepwalking, we should we should do something. And do something. I start rubbing you my hands together. <laughs> and do something you should, because one of them uncurls himself from the tree, brandishing his large claws, snapping them in the air, and comes shuffling down towards you. The other two in wake. I need you all to roll initiative. Hell yeah! Arr. Arr. Aye, aye, um, and then should we? Are you ready for those? Yeah, hook me up. 15. I can't imagine. 15 for Zellner and 15. This is way harder without roll 20. Uh, 21 for Celeste. All right. Anyone else? 15 also for Finnegan. Both of you roll off. Roll off. Robert. Uh, Robert got a 5. I got a 13 nice. on this. <laughs> nice. 
Uh, 19 for Phil Collins. So last Phil. And Jules. 16. All right. So it's going to be Celeste, then uh, uh, Phil, then uh, Jules, then uh, Finnegan, then Zell, then Ruber with uh, the giant crabs have their place here. Mysterious. You'll find out. All right. Uh, so ready to. So with initiative rolled up, let's do this. <clears throat> The uh, crabs come shuffling towards you. Fortunately, Finnegan and Celeste noticed them and uh, or noticed that they were moving already, so you are not surprised and you don't get killed in your first encounter. Ah. The three giant crabs shuffle down towards you, and uh, Celeste, you are the quickest to act. What do you do? Uh, They're within engagement range of you. They're like 20 feet away from you at most. Okay, great. I, ca- I take... I cast Thorn Whip, so Seagrass comes up from the beach and smacks the crab closest to me, um, so that way it lands, hopefully, not adjacent to me. Okay, so you're not trying to yank the thing towards you, but it's mm-hmm. getting pulled in your direction, so it's closer to everyone, much easier to access. Yeah. I'm going to make an attack roll. 15. Uh, it easily strikes the crab. Actually, not easily. Directly. It's a natural armor, wants to resist this, but you manage to wrap it around with a thorn whip. It cracks the shell a little and drags the crab towards you. Roll damage. Six. Uh, the uh, crab is sort of crunched inwards, not quite destroyed by your thorn whip, but incredibly wounded. The crab kind of scrambles a bit, uh, struggling in pain, and you can't tell if it's about to run away or charge you to try to eat you still. Uh, and then, uh, Phil, what do you do? Uh, I'm going to cast a ray of frost on it um, before I flavor it. It's going to be a seven to hit. Uh, that is not a hit, unfortunately. Okay, so Phil like kind of pulls a pistol um, from his side, an arcane firearm, and uh, he pulls the trigger on it, and it misfires, and he like smashes it against his knee. Um, and then can I kind of reposition myself and move behind the boat to achieve any sort of cover? Yeah, so you're kind of moving back. You're still within 30 feet of them, uh, but you fall back behind the boat so that you are not an appetizing target anymore. They'd have to scramble over a boat and everything. Okay, and then I'll end my turn. All right, and then uh, as soon as uh, Phil finishes that, Jules, you are the next available. You're kind of near the boat as well with uh, Phil, but not behind it. What do you do? So Three crabs shuffling towards you. Seeing that there's this one crab that's kind of wounded, I hold a, uh, I hold kind of like a bandage uh, up to my arm against where one of these uh, like traces in my skin is. And as I hold it against it, you see this little... I don't know if you see it or if you just hear this little bell chiming as I cast uh, Told the Dead. Nice. The damaged uh, crab. And that calls for the crab to make a constitution saving throw, correct? Wisdom. Wisdom. Well, the crab is not wise. I got a 10. Yep, that's a thir- misses the 13. And then he is wounded, so he's going to take the D12 damage instead of the D8 from Told the Dead, correct? Yep. Nice. Uh, so you, uh, drawing upon that uh, that Eldritch Pact of yours and drawing upon these markings against yourself, it draws the uh, crab closer towards the death, or death, closer into the hands of the Rotting King. Uh, no, good roll damage. Five damage. 
Wow. Uh, the crab recoils, shudders, and then collapses on the ground dead. Uh, with that crab slain, the other two keep scrambling forward. And to your despair, uh, do you uh, do you actually do you move to position yourself behind the boat in the water like Finn? Yeah, I'll, I'll move to like Phil. Stay at stay at a range, and you'll notice that the the bandage I held up is now you know a little bit stained with blood. Spooky. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the two craps shuffle forward towards uh, Zell, Nern, and Celeste and Finnegan. The only uh, three... Oh, actually, Robert is also out front. So they shuffle towards you, uh, looking first the large turtle meat. Uh, one of the giant crabs moves towards you. It's huge pincher crunching down on you for... Uh, is 14 a hit on you, Zell, Nern? It is not. Uh, it crunches against your shell, but its claw can't squeeze. Like, it gets you in a grip, but it can't crunch. It just, it's like trying to break a, like a Brazil nut with regular nutcrackers. It sucks, and it's a terrible time. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> that is an oddly specific example, but it's relevant because onsen nut trees that are, these crabs climbed off of are the in-world equivalent of Brazil nut trees, and so it was relevant and top of mind. Uh, <laughs> doesn't exist. Damn. And so they're ancient nut trees. Uh, and as you uh, sit there with the uh, the crab trying to claw you, it does nothing at all. Meanwhile, another crab scuttles forward. This time, moving towards Rubert. The crab scuttles towards you. You brandish your blade towards it, and it snaps at you for a six to hit. That's a miss. Easily, you sidestep the thing. It goes uh, and- to claw at me, and I like put my rapier forward and it like its claws just wrap around the rapier and i just toss the claw aside uh and then its other tiny claw looks like it's gonna try and snap you but it only gets one attack so uh uh, zelnern what do you do there's a crab on top of you uh trying to claw you but it can't get a good grab on grapple on you it can't break your shell what do you do finnegan actually goes before me oh finnegan does get to go before you uh finnegan what do you do the crabs (laughs) left you alone uh i'm going to uh, voraciously and maybe surprisingly for how old I look, like leap on top of the nearest one to me. <laughs> nice. Uh, so you run on next to the one that's between you and Rubert, and you leap literally on top of it. Well, I'm gonna like leap at it and and come down. Like I'm gonna try to crack its shell with my fist so I can crack oh, wow. it open. Get okay, so you <laughs> you're gonna eat it? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. So you dive bomb onto this. Make your attack roll. All right. And I'm going to give advantage to that because I, I love the flair of that. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad I had advantage. Uh, I have an 18 to hit. 18 to hit. You easily crunch into the crab's shell. Uh, shell, or like uh, fragments of the shell splinter, but it probably doesn't kill it. Roll damage. Six damage. Six damage. The crab sort of recoils, alive but bloodied from your blow. Uh, the crab looks wounded. You've definitely damaged its shell. It's going to have a bad life from here on out. Uh, but it still might kill you before it has a chance to do that. Uh, I'm going to use my bonus action to strike with my other fist. <laughs> oh. Monks are OP. Two attacks at first level. <laughs> OP. Uh, that is a 16 to hit. Also a hit. You crack through the shell with your bare fists. I'm hungry. All right. That is also a six. Another six. This time the uh, crab 
cracks open, breaking oh, wide open, gosh, and yes. the crab meat spills out, the crab dying. I uh, start stuffing still... it in my face. It like the juices trickle down my beard. <laughs> there's still another crab coming. Uh or it's uh currently pinching into Zelnern. And Zelnern, as you're kind of grappling with this crab, you actually see another two crabs kind of skittering down through the trees towards you. Uh what do you do, Zell? All right, since I have a shell myself, I kind of understand uh, their weak points. And while it's up trying to attack me, <laughs> I do an underhand swing with my axe to get oh, nice. to its underside. I like it. Uh, I like Never. the leveraging of like that situational advantage uh, using knowledge of this thing's weakness points. So I'm going to give you advantage on that. They're giant monster crabs that tried to eat you. 24. Oh, 24. You easily crack its shell. Five damage. And this is a great axe you're wielding? Uh, yes. Nice. Uh, you cut into her five damage. The the, like, much like before, this uh, like kind of bloodies or weakens the crab, but doesn't outright kill the uh, creature as it tries to grab you. These crabs clearly hoping to take you away into the trees and eat you. Uh, you drive the thing back before it can do to you what happened to so many of your brothers and sisters. Rubert, Rubert, what do you do? Uh, Finnegan's killed the crab in front of you. There's another dead crab laying nearby. There's a live wounded one next to Zelnern, pretty close to you. Uh, and then there's two more scrabbling their way down the beach. Uh, I will gracefully, well, um, Finnegan's stuffing the raw crab meat into his face, <laughs> like hunched over the crab. I'll like leap over uh, Finnegan and then run up next to Zelnern. And then while I imagine he like hit the crab upwards and oh, its nice. underside is, is exposed, I'm going to like stab into the underside of the okay. belly with my rapier. Wonderful. Yeah, you're also going to gain that advantage then as you uh, kind of leverage that same exploit he did. Critical. Oh, nice. Ooh. Don't even need the nice. advantage. Uh, it's a, it's a, certainly a deadly blow. Let's find out how deadly. Ultra deadly. 14 piercing damage. Wow, if it was at full health, that would have uh, slain it outright. The crab is lanced straight through. Your blade pulls out gracefully and the crab dies behind you. Um, uh, I leave my rapier in it, and then I'm going to use my bonus action to pull Ed to make a uh, two-weapon fighting attack. Nice. As I pull one of the daggers out and then throw it uh, at one of the crabs approaching. Nice. So the, do you use the same hand as that rapier? Or are you are you ambidextrous or are you right-handed? Uh, he's ambidextrous from all the knife juggling and everything. Nice. So stabs it, drops it, blade goes soaring out, stabbing into one of the crabs. Hopefully, let's find out. Yeah, let's find out. Uh, nine plus three or five, 14. 14, it glances off the shell uselessly. The crab skitters forward undeterred. Uh, and uh, Celeste, it's your turn now. There's two more crabs sk uh, skittering down the beach towards you, Finnegan, uh, Zell, and Rubert. What do you do? I will look at the. I'll do the same thing I did last time where I cast Thorn Whip on the nearest crab. All right, uh, roll an attack rolls. Like the vine lashes out and grabs at the crab, dragging it forward. 13. Unfortunately, it cannot break the shell. Uh, the uh, crab's natural armor of AC 15 makes it too durable against these first level attacks as you try to whip and grab it. I uh, also use my movement to move out of range because right, I so think. You want... 
I'm best from a distance. All right, so you retreat away from the uh, away from the giant crab uh, so that it can't uh, kill you on its turn. Yeah, I'm best uh, on the horizon. Uh, meanwhile, Phil, you've already actually the previous turn retreated to a uh, uh, a safe space between the oh, with the boat between you and the crabs. You're still within thirty feet, but the boat's between you and the crabs. What do you do? Well, I look over at Finnegan and I shudder and think of the conversation <laughs> that Jules and I had. Um, Only confirming. <laughs> and I shout to him, uh, stay focused, Birdman, there's more. Um, <laughs> That's actually so perfect. I was about to be not fighting anymore. <laughs> I was so focused oh, on <laughs> And then uh, Phil, he, he like fiddles with his gun and turns a knob on the side of it uh, and tries to cast Ray of Frost again. Uh, it's for 19 to hit. Nice. It's so, like the first time you're like trying to get the shot, it's jammed. This time you adjust a knob and your uh, our, your arcane creation launches the uh, uh, frost forward. Like yeah. Tackle. Super cool. Uh, it's going to be six to hit and it's just like <laughs> and just like two icicles kind of shoot out of it and land on the closest crab. Uh, and you said it's a six to hit? Yeah, or I mean, no, 19 to hit for 6 okay. damage. Okay, I, I was going to say, oh, 6, uh, 19. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this time the icicles stab into it uh, for 6 damage. The crab uh, shudders uh, and is actually slowed, unable to really reach you. It's going to definitely focus on other people. Um, and then are you finished, Phil? Yeah, all in my turn. All right, uh, Jules, what do you do? Uh, you're back behind the boat with uh, Phil. The crabs are a good distance away. There's two of them. They're, about, they're still within 30 feet, but they're probably not going to be able to come to you. Uh, so the one that uh, got hit with a dagger, was that the... It, the dagger bounced off it and did not wound oh, it. Excellent. So there's one that has been hurt by uh, Phil's Ray of Frost from his uh, uh, weapon. Got it. Yeah, I'm going to uh, reach out to do the same thing. Try to uh, pull it over the barrier from this life into the next one. Okay. Uh, the crab struggles. It gets a 14. That's a wise little crab. <laughs> Ignore that... the bell, wise crab. <laughs> the crab is immune to the call of the rotting king's uh, grave uh, as uh, he's a crab. And uh, unfortunately, you do not drag it into into the death, into that afterlife. And uh, the crab continues to shuffle forward. In fact, crabs shuffle forward now. One crab shuffling towards, uh, I guess it's Giselle Finnegan and Rubert that are close to it. So the wounded crab shuffles towards uh, the vulnerable Finnegan, who's actively eating another <laughs> crab. Uh, you can't tell if this crab's trying to eat the other crab or eat Finnegan until it gets close and claws at him for eight. My dice are fans of you all right now. Uh, and uh, it claws uselessly at you. Well, meanwhile, the other crab, this one moves towards uh, moves towards Zelnern and uh, tries to pinch him for seven. I, I mean, if I rolled above a, of an eight right now, uh, it pinches at you uselessly. And uh, the crabs can't seem to get the better of you. Your hero's journeys don't end from crabs. Uh, Finnegan, what do you do? You're eating crab meat. <laughs> yeah, I've just been stuffing my face, like fully <laughs> focused and just having the time of my life. I love crab meat. Um, Ooh, I think I, yeah, I was like full attention on that until I heard my crewmate shouting and that snapped me out of it, luckily. <laughs> 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 and uh, I, you know, see this 
injured, sad little crab, but surprisingly smart crab. Uh, wise. <laughs> kind of come toward, yeah, wise crab, come towards me. Uh, tries to snip me, but can't quite do it. And I'm kind of like, oh, what are you trying to do there? And so I'm going to just shift my body over and double Crunch it. hammer hands. I like right, that there's no over. adrenaline rush. It's just like, I'm just going to eat it. <laughs> You roll over and start crunching the next crab. Uh, make it a, your attack roll. Okay, and I would like to also do the bonus action. Should I do both at once? Yes, go ahead. See if you can break this crab. Oh, I got a crit on one of them, and the other one definitely didn't hit. <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and roll that crit damage as you like deflect one blow off it, but then the second blow is a powerful strike into it. And crit, remind me, is double dice? So you roll both dice twice. No, that's where it doesn't work. Double your dice, yeah. Yes, okay. Dice pool, not the result. Ooh, and then plus the, yeah, mod just once, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's a 10. 10 damage. Oh, Uh, you crunch into the crab. Unfortunately, it does not kill the crab outright. It's super wounded, like anyone could kick this thing to death, and it's likely going to flee, but uh, it doesn't kill the crab outright. Um, And then if you're finished, Finnegan? I'm just annoyed that it has distracted me <laughs> that is fair uh zell <laughs> zellner there is a there's a crab trying to pinch you but completely failing and then there's a crab like 10 feet away from you next to uh finnegan that's trying to uh pinch him but completely failing what would you like to do <laughs> um since the one on finnegan looks like it's going to just try to flee i will leave that one alone but the one that is on me i will um i will i assume it's still kind of trying to grab onto me so i'll hold up hold up my arm and uh just bring my axe right right onto its softest Chop part it. that can find. all right make an attack roll so it seems to have positioned itself slightly differently having seen the way you killed the last one i don't know what crabs can learn combat tactics but uh 20 attack, you still cleave through its armor 13 damage Wow! And without a crit, you kill this thing from, if it was even at full health. The crab splits open. It was already chilled, so now it's like frozen crab spills onto the ground, so this will keep. Uh, and uh, <laughs> if you put some milk, that's the way it, re- it like reheat freezes best. Uh, and uh, as you kill this giant crab, um, there's only the one next to Finnegan left, and uh, we're looking at... Uh, Rubeo? Uh, I think it's uh, yeah, Zell, then uh, Rubeo. What do you do? I'm going to finish that crab off with a flourish. I go to stab through it, make a crab skewer. (laughs) Roll your attack. Uh, That's 15 to hit. Nice. You pierce into it. Roll. I think minimum damage is at least two, which is its HP. So, uh, oh, wow. You easily skewer this thing, and the crab collapses to the ground dead. Uh, the piles of crap, broken crabs are now kind of littered about you. All five of these giant uh, coconut crabs uh, that were intent on eating you uh, now lay dead around you on the beach. Um, Astrid, the first mate who engaged not at all in that encounter, looks on and says, Well done. Knew there was a reason we brought you, uh, the captain sent you all along. I'm- all right, so did you find the entrance? I believe we did. There is a sea cave entrance on the other side of that bluff. She eyes it with a uh, skeptic, uh, skeptically, um, 
And uh, you see how quickly she jumped you from uh, trying to fight crabs and fighting for your lives to get back to work. And this is incredibly typical of the uh, first mate. There is no... Uh, for her, With her, there is no rest, no uh, I'm tired or I'm wounded. Uh, it is all work, work, work. If you're not working hard enough, I'll give you a reason to work. Um, and... Uh, as she eyes it skeptically, uh, she then asks what you found by the wall. Uh, we found a backpack with uh, not much of note inside. It were there was, uh, I don't know, what was in there, Finnegan? Hmm. Musty old bedroll. Lots of rope. You know, a canteen. Little arrowhead. That's about it. All right. Uh, she says, oh, then that doesn't sound like the way. It must be the other direction. And gestures off. I'm secretly off so relieved that I get to keep the arrowhead. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that if I withheld the information, it would make it more important to her. So <laughs> uh, She seems unconcerned about a random arrowhead you found um, with a punctured water bottle and... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, instead, Jen focuses her attention on the sea cave that uh, Zell and Celeste found. Uh, she points to the gear packs that you've uh, unloaded, uh, Phil and uh, Jules, uh, and says for everyone to uh, grab hold of the gear uh, and follow her, or, and then tells for uh, Zell to lead them to those sea caves. Uh, everyone kind of hoists a backpack if there's a one needed as you're kind of labored down with these like backpacks or carrying a shovel over your shoulder your eyes keep uh, firm attention on that foreboding jungle to you just off the uh, beach that jungle from which you've already seen five monstrous crabs emerge intent on killing you and you wonder if that's what hangs out near the beach what terrors lurk in the deeper depths within Hello everyone, this is Ryan who plays your favorite bard, Rubear Gracehand. I just wanted to say here at the end of the episode a huge thank you to everyone who listened. Um, it really means a lot to me that you took the time to listen to this all of the way through. Um, it's a weird, fun experiment that we're trying out and um, it really, really, really means a lot to me. I also wanted to let everyone know that we have a Twitter account at Chaotic Norm Pod, uh, an Instagram, Chaotic Normal Pod, as well as an email. Uh, that email address is chaoticnormalpod at gmail.com. Uh, there you can send any comments or questions, and we will be answering those questions in the future on some bonus, uh, and as well as some other bonus content on our uh, Patreon page that we'll be launching here shortly. Um, but yeah, once again, before I let you go, just uh, another huge, huge, huge thank you. It um, really, really actually does mean a lot to me. Um, yeah, and if you could share this with anyone that you think might enjoy this, that would mean the world to me. And if you know you want to, rate and review it on iTunes that would go a long way to show that there are people that care and are listening um but yeah we'll be releasing episodes weekly and uh next week we will be releasing part two of the intro to the shattered isles so and i'll uh, talk to you next week uh and until then 
Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed. And it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.